You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate. It's great to be with you today. As we, we are continuing our series called The Perfect Family. And today I get to talk with you about a very important aspect of that, and that is parenting. I'm honored to be a parent. Beverly and I are the parents of three children. And I was just thinking again today about when our kids were born, how blown away I was by how much I loved them. I mean, of course I knew I'd love my children. Everybody knows that. But I, I had no idea how deep my love for my kids was. And it still is. And uh, so, you know, our children, all three, our oldest is 30. Uh, Amy is 30, Audrey is 29, and Lane is 26. And, and thankfully, we all still like each other. We love being together, and, and Beverly and I love watching them as they make their way in the world, and, and they're, they're doing well. And uh, so I'm going to be talking with you about parenting. And I've been thinking about, in our church, the reality is, is many of you are parents, often parents of young children, and then uh, quite a number of you uh, aren't parents yet. So I want to be talking with you, and in fact, a little bit later, I'm going to give four kind of goals about parenting, and I'm going to do it this way. I want to talk about not only what we want our children to become when they're adults, but the kind of adults we should be now or be becoming. So hopefully it'll relate to both of us. But before we get there, I want to start just with a, a passage that does talk about parenting. One of the things I wish the Bible talked a little more about sometimes is parenting. But in, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul addresses children and parents. He's, in chapter 5, he was talking to husbands and wives about what it means to submit to one another. And then, at the beginning of chapter 6, he addresses children. And he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So, if you're a child living at home, that's your sermon for today. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, have a great day. Oh, well, no, that's not all there is. But that was the message. But he says, he goes on to say why. He didn't just say, because I told you so. He said, here's a reason. He actually brings in the Ten Commandments. He says, for this is right. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It's a really interesting promise that, that he gives from obeying uh, the Lord. He, he's addressing them, and the promise is for a better life. It's not just that you may see the Lord's blessing by obeying your parents, and that certainly is part of it, but also that if you can have a healthy view of your parents' authority and learn how to obey them, that can set you up for a healthy view of authority for the rest of your life, which is an incredibly important uh, thing to have, to be a, have a healthy view of authority. It means you can have a healthy respect for the law, for those in authority over you, like, for example, your boss, and you will always have a boss. Now, I can tell you a lot of stories of, of people that I've known that have struggled in life simply, in many cases, because they would have issues with authority. They'd have a hard time even sometimes keeping a job, for one thing, and, and, and a lot of that just goes back to relationship with the parents. See, the Bible's very practical when it talks about this. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons to have honorable respect for your parents and to obey them. So the children have a responsibility, he says, to obey. But then he talks to the parents, and he says that as parents, we have a responsibility to lead well. Not perfectly, 
but to lead well. And he says this in verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, first of all, he addresses the fathers, but that word could actually mean parents. He's talking to both, to the parents. And it's interesting that the first thing he says is, do not exasperate your children. Uh, the, the word exasperate, you might have a translation that says, do not provoke to anger. The word anger there is not the common word for anger. The word there, when it says do not uh, provoke to anger or exasperate, it means do not lead your children to an anger which results in rebellion. It's saying, fathers, don't, don't provoke, or parents, don't provoke your children to the place where they completely lose control and, and break out against authority. This can happen sometimes when we forget that as children get older, our, our approach must move from control to influence. Many of you know that already. Part of the challenge of parenting is you have to parent each child uniquely, but then also the way you parent them often changes as they get older. And, uh, you know, when they're very young, control is a pretty good description of what you need to do with preschoolers. And, but as they get older, it's more of guiding. And uh, as they as become teenagers, they're able to think for themselves and they're learning how to do that. And so instead of provoking them to anger, bring them up, guide them, it says, in the training and instruction of the Lord. So uh, instruction there, it, it's a, it means to, to walk with. It means to reason and to, uh, to give gentle and friendly reproof, to call attention to things. It, it, that's kind of a description that sounds to me like how you would teach and, and parent an older child, not necessarily the preschooler. You don't reason with the preschooler, never reason with the preschooler. You, you always lose. But as they get older, you can do that. But so the opposite, kind of the idea here, the opposite of, of uh, training them in the, in the instruction of the Lord, the opposite of that would be like harshness like a harsh, demanding discipline, which is never accompanied by love or concern or understanding. When it's more like rigid military discipline, it can cause an older child to revolt. So he's saying, children, obey your parents. Parents, be careful in how you parent. Don't exasperate your, your children, but raise them up in the ways of the Lord. So I wanted to just look at that verse as a foundation for today. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about, well, what does it mean to, to, to raise them up in the training and the, the instruction of the Lord? What does that look like? And if you would allow me a little bit of freedom, what I really want to do actually is I, I want to look at four goals we might have uh, uh, for our children when we raise them in the Lord. What is it that we want to see in our children when they become adults? And since the rest of us who are hearing this are adults or becoming adults. What, is it, what are those same qualities that we want to see coming about in our own life as well? And so I'm going to look at four of those today. But before I, before I jump into that, I, I want to recommend three books to you that have been very helpful for me, not just for this message, but uh, as I read and try to get an idea of what's happening in, just in our day and all the crazy times we live in. One of the books is Parenting with Love and Logic by Foster Klein and Jim Hay. That's not a new book. It was very helpful to Beverly and I when we parented, but it has been, uh, it's been updated and I highly recommend it. It talks about helping children learn at a young age the consequences of their choices. 
And so that's, a, it's a, I think, a really a good way of looking at things. The other book is The Coddling of the American Mind by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. Very helpful in understanding some of our times and how to parent in the midst of this current day. Also, The Vanishing American Adult by Ben Sass or Ben Sauce. I think it's Sass. And uh, it's also very helpful, very current, written in this day that I, I would recommend them. I've, I've found them helpful. And so what I want to do, again, I want to look at four kinds of adults or four different aspects of a godly adult that um, I pray we're all becoming as adults and that we, we hope that our children will become and that we want to parent them in such a way that they can become adults that, that have these qualities that live like this. So the first one may not surprise you, but it is this, that they would love God above all else. It just makes sense to me that we should start with what Jesus said is the great commandment, right? In Mark 12, verse 29, he said the most important one, the most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we looked at this. This is him quoting from Deuteronomy 6. We looked at this the first week of this series. So I'm not going to expand on this a lot. Just a, kind of a, what I said back then is uh, we cannot pass on something we do not have. We cannot pass on the love of God if the love of God is not in our own life. It comes from a relationship with him. It comes from a growing relationship, current relationship with him. And, and in the midst of that, it means that, that we're it's just a common thing for us to talk about the Lord and talk about His Word in the, in the midst of regular conversation, in the midst of our life. And then also in some structured ways, whether it's bedtimes or family devotion times or even in some family traditions around holidays. And I told you uh, about one time when we were uh, teaching the kids about the crucifixion and uh, we had Jesus who was made out of marshmallows and our son Lane ate Jesus. And that's just never a good thing when you eat Jesus. So. Uh, a lot of fun and a lot of great memories, but also ways to, to help the love of Jesus be com communicated and, and uh, given to our children so that they could become adults that love God above all else. And, and I would say that, that love His Word as well. And it's, I think, so important that we teach the value of God's Word as we're teaching about what it means to love God because even, even the aspect of knowing what is right and what is wrong um, we live in a, in a day, and it will continue to be this way, where what's right and wrong in our culture changes like with the wind. So we need something we can count on that's not going to change all the time. And that's, that's why Scripture is such, uh, such an anchor in our own lives, and we want to pass that on to our children. So the first aspect is, is we want our own lives, and we want our children. We want to love God above all else. And then along with that, we want to help them learn to love others the way that God loves us. The second part of, of that great commandment is Jesus said, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, our, our love for God will be reflected in how we treat other people. It's connected. And, and so we want to model for our children. We want to model for others what it looks like, how we treat other people because the love of God is in us. Um, we teach our children that every person is created by God and is to be treated with value. That means that, that means that does not mean we agree with everything that that 
that's happening in a person's life or that they say, or, or even with every lifestyle, but it still means we value the person and we can love them. We love them where they are without condoning maybe a lifestyle that's not pleasing to the Lord. I tell you, it's a lot harder to do that than just be judgmental. That's the easy way. But learning to love a person where they are without condoning necessarily everything that's happening, that's what Jesus does with us. That's what he did with the people that were around him. People, sinners, loved being around Jesus and had to do with how he treated them. Uh, one of my favorite books, I've shared this with some of you, one of my favorite books is a book called Unshockable Love by John Burke. And he began to ask that question, why did sinners like being around Jesus so much? And so he started looking at the interactions of people in the Gospels. But one of the key uh, truths that kind of came up was the truth that's found in, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in us in advance for us to do. It says we are God's handiwork, that word in Greek, poema, where we get the word poem. It can also be the word masterpiece. That every person that we meet is actually God's masterpiece. And he's, he tells the story, John Burke tells the story about a time when he lived in Paris. And he said, I love to go to the art galleries. And he, and he said, what if one day I walked in, in back to the alley behind these great art galleries and I saw in the dumpster this old, this old uh, painting. It was mud all over and it was torn. I'd think, man, that's that's just trash. It's in, you know, it's in the dumpster. But what if I walked a little closer to it? And he said, and I saw in the corner the signature that said Rembrandt. All of a sudden, this would no longer be a piece of trash. This is a masterpiece. And so I would, I would take it out carefully and I would have someone very carefully remove the mud from it and, and to repair it because I knew underneath all of that was a masterpiece. And what John Burke said is that when, when people would come near Jesus, he didn't just see the mud of their lives. He saw the masterpiece underneath. And people could tell that he saw the masterpiece. And I would say that's true for us. People can tell whether we see the mud in their life or whether we see the masterpiece that God has created. And, and as we pass that on to our children to learn to love others the way he has loved us, we will do well. We'll do well if we could learn we will do well if we can help our children learn to treat people in such a way that those people desire to be nearer to Jesus. So we, we want to we raise our children. We want to be people who love God above all else, who love others the way Jesus loves us. But then there's a third uh, aspect, a third goal, if you will, that I would commend to you as a, as a goal for for raising your parent, your parents, raising your, your children. And that is, the third is this, is that they would be people who live with godly integrity. They live with godly integrity. Now, on this, on this point, on this quality, I, I'm not going to give you a verse. I want to give you 14 chapters in the book of Genesis. Because from Genesis 37 to 50 is the story of Joseph. And I would say that one very important aspect of the story of Joseph is that he was a man, even starting when he was a young man, he was a man with godly integrity. If you know the story, uh, he is, uh, tells, the story begins with him telling his brothers 
and his father, that he had this dream that one day they would all bow down to him. Well, they didn't appreciate that very much. And so, so their response to, to his dream and to him telling him, them his dream was to, they went, his brother sold him into slavery. Bit of an overreaction, I, I would think, but that's, that's what happened. And so he finds himself imprisoned. And he's, when he's in prison, he, he gains the trust of a, of a military leader, Potiphar, and Potiphar leaves him in charge of his household. And while he's gone, Potiphar's wife is attracted to Joseph, but Joseph has nothing to do with her. In fact, he runs away so that he doesn't even stay close to the temptation, and she's embarrassed by that. So she tells her husband that Joseph tried to take advantage of her. And so the husband gets angry and throws him in jail. He'd been in slavery, and now he's in jail. And so he's thrown in jail, and, and it seems like he's forgotten. But even while he's in jail, he has opportunity to live with godly integrity. And, and I'll tell you, what, what you see in the story of Joseph is you see his response over and over is, is this. And this is my definition of godly integrity. You see what he does is he, he says what is true, he does what is right, and he leaves the result to God. Say what is true do what is right, and leave the results to God. That, that, to me, is a definition of godly integrity. He didn't shape his words to try to control the outcome. He didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't manipulate to try to control the outcome as best he knew how. He said what was true, and he did what was right, and left the results to, to the Lord. And, and the results, some would say, was for 13 years he was in jail. It seemed like maybe the Lord wasn't hearing, but he was. Time and time again, this is how he would respond until one day Joseph goes from prisoner to prime minister in Egypt. And God uses him to save who knows how many lives in the midst of a famine and leads to this incredible forgiveness story with he and his brothers who first sold him into slavery. This is an incredible story of, of godly integrity. And so if we raise our children to do that, one of the most, for us, this was very important in raising our children. One of the most, uh, one of the worst offenses in our home was lying. And so there were, there were great consequences if, if our children were caught lying. So we knew that we need to make our home a place where uh, telling the truth, there was an atmosphere where the truth could be told no matter how hard it was. That meant we, we couldn't explode every time we heard the truth. We had to now, there would be discipline involved, but we had to make sure and do the best we could to make it a place where the truth could be told. It also meant that we prayed for our kids that they would get caught every time they tried to do something they shouldn't do. And I'll just tell you, pretty much, I think the Lord answered that, that prayer, and we were, we were thankful that, that that happened. Because overall, we wanted them to learn to say what is true, do what is right, leave the results to God, be people of godly integrity, and that's, that's who we want to be as adults, right? So those are three characteristics, three character qualities that we want to see in our children when they grow. And then there's a fourth one. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on the fourth one. And, and the fourth is this, that we want our children to grow up to live dangerously for the Lord. We want them to learn to live dangerously for the Lord. In fact, I would say our home should be a safe place to learn to live dangerously for the Lord. 
Now, if that sounds a little dramatic, let me let me say it this way. Another way to say it is to prov- our home should be a place where we provide a safe place to learn from our mistakes and to learn to take risks. Our home, as we're as our children are growing, they must learn what it means to 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 learn from their mistakes and to take risks. You see, uh, Hebrews chapter eleven verse six says, "And without faith, it is impossible to please God." Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That first statement is, should cause us to pause, really. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, that, that's, that's really amazing. It's impossible to please God with faith, without faith. And faith is when we choose to say yes to God before we know how it's all going to work out. We say yes to Him before we know all of the answers. That means there's always risk involved in faith, in trusting God. And our home should be a safe place to learn to take risks, to try things and to fail and to to learn from it. Now, when I say our home should be a safe place, maybe it's obvious, but what I mean, it's a place where the child knows that they are loved and accepted and it's a secure environment. So obviously, there's no place for abuse in the home. There's no place for uncontrolled anger or I would even say ongoing sarcasm. Cutting sarcasm works against trust. It works against providing a, a safe atmosphere for growth. I, I, there's an old saying about sarcasm that, that uh, the way to bury a relationship is one little dig at a time. And that's what sarcasm does. So it can destroy a home. So we want it to be a safe place to learn to live dangerously for the Lord, to learn to take risks for the Lord. Because as the child becomes older, the risks they take should become bigger. But we can start early. Kind of alluded to this a little bit early. We can start with preschoolers by letting them make mistakes and and experiencing the consequences of the mistakes when the consequences are really small and begin to let them learn that early, early in life so that they don't have to wait till the consequences are big and maybe life-changing or life-shattering for them to have to learn it, to let them to learn early the consequences of of their choices. Now, I'll say to us, our, our current culture doesn't help us here. Our current culture over the last few decades has become very risk-averse. Did, did you know that when I was a kid, most cars didn't even have seatbelts? Uh, it was fun to stand next to your parent when they were driving the car. It was also incredibly dangerous, but it was a lot of fun. Did you know that when I was growing up, we had leaded gasoline and paint had lead in it? Uh, you know, things were different then. And obviously, the invention of seat belts has saved a lot of lives. And, and that's a good thing. And it's good that we're not ingesting lead anymore. That's, that's good that that's those safety measures were put into place. Many good things have changed as an attempt to protect us from danger. But what seems to be happening or have already happened maybe in our growing attempt to protect from danger is that we've moved from a place where we're trying to protect from harm to protecting from risk. And protecting from risk is not healthy. In fact, it could be dangerous to us, I would say. We've become a culture where safety is our highest or at least one of our highest values. 
in one of the books I recommended earlier, Lukianoff and Hate, they describe the current state as a safetyism or, or that it can be found in the midst of our culture. And one way to describe safetyism is the outlook that everything is, just everything's dangerous. And we must protect our children and ourselves from any perceived danger. But I would propose to you that that's not possible, especially if you follow Jesus. See, living for the Lord, as I said before, requires faith, and that means it requires risk. And we need to provide a safe environment at home without safetyism. I want to read a quote from, from their book, The Coddling of the American Mind. It says, We believe that efforts to protect children from environmental hazards and vehicular accidents have been very good for children. Exposure to lead and cigarette smoke confer no benefits. Being in a car crash without a seatbelt does not make kids more resilient in future car crashes. But efforts to protect kids from risk by preventing them from gaining experience, such as walking to school or climbing a tree or using sharp scissors, are different. Such protections come with costs, as kids miss out on opportunities to learn skills, independence, and risk assessment. Then they quote another author, Skenazy, who says this, the problem with this everything is dangerous outlook is that overprotectiveness is a danger in and of itself. And I would agree with that, and I would say that one of the dangers is that we could be raising a whole generation of kids based on fear and an outlook of fear in the midst of life. You know, one of the ways that they recommend, it's interesting, one of the ways they recommend parents help kids learn independence and risk assessment is providing times of unsupervised play. Now that's harder and harder in our day. Maybe uh, in the community you live in, it may be harder or easier to do that. But if you think about it, when you were a kid, probably some of your favorite memories or when you were exploring without supervision, or you were creating your own world without the, pa the parents directing it. There's just something in us that's, that's made to want to do that. In fact, author James Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, he says, to be human is to be on a quest. To live is to be embarked on, uh, is to be embarked on a kind of unconscious journey toward a destination of your dreams. Now, this is healthy. It, it helps develop decision-making, risk assessment skills that shape us when we become adults. In fact, studies are now showing that a lack of free play can lead to anxiety and depression later in life. One other quote from, from the same book, from Lukianoff and Haidt's book. It says, children need free play in order to finish the intricate wiring process of neural development. Children deprived of free play are likely to be less competent physically and socially as adults. They're likely to be less tolerant of risk and more prone to anxiety disorders. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Well, let me just say, whatever methods you choose and, uh, of how to help your kids experience risk, I just want to ask you, are you helping them learn to respond to conflict and failure and risk? It's an important part of growing up. And one of the most important reasons is so, they, so that they can become adults who are willing to live dangerously for the Lord. I would even ask uh, uh, those of us who are adults watching this, when it comes to following the Lord, how much does safety impact your decisions? Now, of course, we need to assess risk. 
of, of everything we're considering. It'd be unwise to even consider, not consider if there's risk involved. But ultimately, as followers of Jesus, our decision must be obedience over safety. And the Lord every day calls people to follow Him into risky, even dangerous situations all over the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was talking about some of his journey. Look at verse 26. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. Do you notice a key word there? He was, he was in danger. Now, I'm not saying that we should always look for the most dangerous way to do anything. Not at all. I'm just saying that we must seek to know what it means to obey the Lord and to learn to live in a way where obedience to Jesus, not safety, is what is the driving factor. Especially in the midst of a culture where safety has become a leading priority. And as we raise our children, the older they get, the more risk we begin to allow into their lives to help them learn that. Um, one of the ways we did that with our children is that they moved into the teenage years is, is, was mission trips and they were able to go on a number of international mission trips. So we sent them to Africa, I think three times. And uh, when I remember the first time we took them, uh, Amy, our oldest was 13 or 14 and she went with me on a mission trip to Brazil. It was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. She spent the week in the, in the, the flavelas, in the, the, the slums of, of Sao Paulo, sharing the gospel, ministering to people. And uh, it was really a, quite an experience for her. At the end of that week, we had a little free time, and it, down the street from our hotel, there was a McDonald's. And after a week there, that just seemed like a really fun thing to do. So we walked down to McDonald's, and we're in line, and we're looking at the menu, and, and Amy says, you know, a quarter pounder. You know, I've never had a quarter pounder. And I'm like, what? You're, you're like 14 years old and you've never had a quarter pounder? What kind of parent am I? Was this child abuse? She's like, oh yeah, dad, you really abuse us. Let me think for a minute. We have carpet on our floor. We have furniture. We have a two-story house. It was in that moment I knew that her world was beginning to change and her view of the world was beginning to change. But it took some risk for her to be able to be involved in that. And that was just the beginning. Of, of allowing those risks. Now, not careless, but still allowing the children to experience risk. It's, it has shaped their life. It has shaped their view of God and the world. And that's not the only way. Mission trips are a good way, but they're not the only way. But let, allowing them to experience that risk so that they can become adults who are willing to live dangerously for the Lord. There are people around the world doing that every day. Uh, I was in a meeting recently where a friend of mine who lives in uh, South Asia talked about a friend of his who had come to know Christ in India just a few weeks ago, had started uh, a worship service, having a worship gathering in his house. His neighbors did not like it, and one of his neighbors doused him with a bucket full of acid. It took him five weeks in the hospital, and then he died. Suffered for five weeks, and then he died. Now, you talk about living dangerously. It's, it, the, it is not unlike the Lord to call us to risk for Him. As adults, we need to hear that. We need to be, it's not about looking for the greatest risks, it's risk, it's just looking about what does it mean to obey God. But as parents, what if we could raise our children who would be will, so that they would be willing to obey God, whatever 
he told them to do. So those are some, some of my thoughts to you from the aspect of, of parenting, what we want to raise our children to, the kind of adults we want them to be. There's a whole lot more than four we could talk about. And some of the same qualities we want to see in our own lives as adults, to love the Lord above all else, to love others the way Jesus loves us, to be people with godly integrity, and to be willing to live dangerously, to, to risk for the Lord, to, to choose obedience over safety. And that's my prayer for you as parents, that God would give you wisdom on how to do that, day at a time, year after year, that He would also give me and you as adults the courage to trust Him and to make the decisions to say yes, whatever it means, to follow Him. So that's, that's my prayer for us today. Let, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, I, I just do want to come to you with these, really, this message as a request to you, that for every parent that is watching, that you would embolden them, that you would encourage them, that you would give them your wisdom through your word and through your spirit to, to know how to parent their, their children in this day so that they would grow to love you and to live for you no matter what, whatever it takes. And Lord, I pray for every adult that would be that kind of person. We can't do it just by our own willpower. It's, it's by you changing us from the inside out. So even today, as you speak to, to us, I pray that our answer to you would be yes, no matter what. So I pray this, Lord, to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.